Hi everyone, welcome to HubShots. In this episode, we talk about e-commerce benchmarks, HubSpot content topics and the cluster tool, HubSpot CRM sales filters, and link building is still a priority. This is a podcast for marketing managers or sales professionals who are using HubSpot. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found, and with me is my co-host Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? Look pretty good after that beer tonight. It's fantastic. <laughs> Listen, isn't it? we've just had uh, dinner. It's about nine thirty at night, and we're starting to record pizza. Uh, yeah, we had pizza for dinner and a few beers, and you know I don't drink a lot, and I may well fall asleep <laughs> right as we record this. <laughs> See how we go. All right, on to our inbound thought of the week, Craig, and we're going to talk about some e-commerce benchmarks in 2017, and this is from the Moz blog. Yeah, that's right. They gave an outline of actually a report that was done by the uh, Wolfgang Digital crew, and it's a study based on, it was on millions of transactions, and they did a whole study on, you know, the trends that are happening. And there are two that we're going to pull out. The first one, this is finding four from the Moz blog, and they said, mobile earns more share, yet desktop still delivers the dollars. And this is what we found as well. You know, there is an increasing uh, push to mobile, as we all know, and yet when it comes to e-commerce sales... Desktop is still where all the actual, uh, most of the money happens. So mm. even when you've got a site that's got more mobile traffic than desktop, you actually find that's reversed when it comes to the actual transaction value. So something that's worth keeping in mind, because often we can just look at the traffic and go, oh, that's where we should be pushing the dollars. But it's also worth looking at the end of the, end of the journey when they purchase, making sure we've got that in mind as well. And there was a second one as well, item seven. Sticky websites sell more. And in this one, we basically saying things like Facebook, Google actually made a big impression. Yeah. So one of the things that drives conversions is what they're finding is, sure, those channels drive it, but it's actually the engagement that results from it once they get to the site. So they find this correlation where if you're actually spending an increased amount of time on the site, there's almost a direct correlation with the conversion value. There's a transaction value. On the site. Now, we might think, oh, well, I guess that's obvious in hindsight, but how often we actually just pushed for traffic rather than actually pushing mm. for sticky traffic. So, this is another reminder of, of that. So, yeah, you can get all of the um, details. We've got a link in the show notes, which you can download the full benchmark study and uh, dig into it. Yeah, and I'll just give you a little personal story of mine. My wife tends to find lots of things on Facebook that she likes or things that I'd be interested in. And she often tags me in it. And that's where my journey starts as a user. And then I go on to the website to actually end up buying the product. And I did it this week with an item that she actually told me about. I looked at it and then I actually went to do a search on Google to find out whether it was the best product. And I entered this whole buyer journey where I discovered the one she had tagged me in wasn't the best product. And I found another product and I ended up buying that. Oh, that's interesting. And did and so you went. Where did you end up buying on desktop or desktop? Yeah, correct. So I could imagine buying on tablet, and I do sometimes buy on mobile. But it's really desktop. I'll often tag. Yeah, you get tagged, or you might save it. You bookmark mm. it, as you said. So I'll save it into my to do list to check out once I'm back on my desktop, and that's actually when the purchase decision is yeah. made. And it is interesting. I actually went through both these products. I went through their social profiles, and I went through their website, and I looked at all the aspects of the product. And it was really funny, like even though one of them did social really well and the other one didn't do it that well, but they had the better product, I still went with the guys that had the better product because at the end of the day that mattered to me than the great social profile that the other guys had, which is really interesting because they were both really good. So something to remember. All right, on to our HubSpot marketing feature of the week. All right, this is their new content strategy tool, which is now available in all portals. 
We've had this for a while in beta, and uh, they call it the content strategy tool. I, I call it the cluster tool, really, the topic cluster tool. Yes, which essentially it is, Craig. And I think what's really key here is that understanding the shift from keywords to more content clusters and topics and yeah. topics and really HubSpot shifting towards that model and understanding how all this content on our site actually plays a role in actually getting the right traffic, building the right pillar content as we would speak. Yeah. Now, what's your impressions of the tool? Have you had a play with it? Yes, I have. When I started, I, I struggled, but now I'm getting used to it. And I think I use it alongside and I think as you gain more understanding, you will get better at using the tool to get a better result. Yeah, I'm in two minds about it, I have to say. I can't see what the big deal about this tool is. I can see the big deal about the concept, topics versus keywords. I certainly see that. But a few things about it, and maybe this is just because I don't understand it fully. I've played with it and it hasn't kind of hit me how to use it effectively. But uh, And you kind of have a look in the show notes to get an image of or a screenshot of how it works. But you start with a, a seed topic. And then you actually have these, I guess, spokes that go out and then you have these other topics or cluster topics that um, work off it. So, for example, um, we've put one here, Google My Business, and then a cluster might be, or an offshoot from that might be Google My Business Listing, Google My Business Listing Optimization is another one. Hmm. And so they have these kind of other areas of the topic to explore. Then what they do, it actually crawls through your portal and it assigns content to each of those items. Hmm. Now, that's great if all your content is in HubSpot. Well, for our site, we use WordPress for most of the site. We use HubSpot for landing pages. So we're not using HubSpot for the blog in this case. So it doesn't get those. Now, you can link external URLs. But what I find frustrating about this is when you look at the page performance tool, it, of course, looks through all our site, including our WordPress pages and everything, and gives us great recommendations. I'm kind of disappointed that the, the content strategy tool doesn't do that. Uh, so you can manually assign them. If you do do that, then you do get some stats around it, which are useful. But other than that, I think I've actually missed how to use this tool. I hope in a, in an, in a future episode, I come back and go, oh, <laughs> how silly was I? I didn't realize it. But yeah, maybe listeners. Yeah, and I think as we build up, I'm, I'm building a whole topic cluster. And mm-hmm. I think as I build that out, I'll get more insight into what's happening. But I think it's a valid point what you've said is that it actually needs to crawl the entire site and not just things that are hosted on HubSpot. All right, on to our marketing tip of the week, Craig. And this is from Moz. Yeah, another one from Moz. About low-quality pages. Yeah, this is becoming more of a thing when you're looking at optimizing your site for Google. Yes. Uh, Because as you may know, you have, I guess, a limited attention span from Google focus on your site. So if you've got thousands of pages, uh, don't assume that Google indexes them all or gives you equal, you know, waiting to all of the pages, doesn't check them out. You have limited resource that you can tap into. And so there's, I guess, this consideration around whether you've got low quality content that could actually be harming your site because it's dragging some of Google's resource away and also potentially working against you. If you've got all this low-quality content, it gives you an overall weighting about your site. If Google sees, oh, well, half your pages are low-quality, then it kind of, you know, tars the tar brush of the site. So Moz have looked at this and they said, okay, good, well, we've got to avoid low-quality pages. Well, how do we find them? You know, mm. how do you actually determine a low-quality page? We kind of know what Google likes, right? Yeah. We know Google likes unique content, loads fast and has heaps of links to it and most importantly, answers the searcher's question. Okay, good, we know that. But how do we find low-quality pages? Well, it's a good post and a good Whiteboard Friday where Rand goes through, here's a few ideas. 
First of all, look at pages per visit after landing. Because, you know, in analytics, you can choose landing pages. And based on that, what's the pages per visit? So if you find mm. landing pages that actually have very low pages per visit based on that landing page, there's an insight for you. I thought that was a really good way of approaching it. You know, oh, okay, they found this page and thought, no, nah, I'm out of here. Maybe it's high bounce rate. Maybe there's not low engagement. Another one is just social shares. Now, we do know social shares are important, but if a page has very few social shares, even though you've shared it on social, that's a good insight that maybe it's low quality. People don't want to share it. And then thirdly, here's a tip. Grab a page URL on your site and throw that into Google search. Do a search on the URL and Google will show you a list that includes what it deems on your site kind of matches that URL. So it looks at the URL and says, oh, this URL is about this kind of topic. Here's all the other pages that kind of could be related to that. And if they're very similar, that kind of is a good indication that you've got duplicate content issues on your site. So it's kind of diluting the effect. That's a way to identify low quality pages because there's multiple variations of it. So there's some good tips there. Yeah, and I think what I want to say is that once you've done this exercise, what Rand was kind of drawing was that you have these three buckets, which is high, medium and low quality, and you kind of group them into these buckets. So you understand where your pages sit and then you can take appropriate action as to what you do with it going forward. Could be actually redirecting lower quality pages to other pages on your site that are related to that topic yeah he's actually saying low quality pages delete them and yeah. and as you say put the redirect back to something else so get yeah. rid of them you know yeah. yeah that's the way be ruthless all right onto our hubspot sales feature of the week craig and this is an update to views what has happened here is that hubspot have actually cleaned up the way all of this operates so uh, really putting a single focus on what people are doing so when you're looking at your filters now and your saved views it covers the entire screen and you can actually select the views that are related to you, that are shared, and if you want anything else that's in that list. Well, they've renamed to views to saved filters for starters, yes. which is a good thing in my mind. Saved filters, much better name. You know the thing I like about this? You can have favourites. Yes. You can I, have five favourites. Yeah, this. I think it's five, yeah. yeah. I really like this. So, yeah, that, that used to be, that saves you multiple clicks. You know, you used to click, oh, yeah, show these. Okay, pop up, yeah, click that. Okay, that's the view I want. Just got your five favourites there. I think that's a huge time saver. Yes, and then I want to highlight one other thing is that those filters are now available in the HubSpot marketing portal in contacts as well. Yeah, cue applause. That's right. So I think this is bringing everything together, making it cohesive and making a consistent experience across the tool. Yeah, so here's a question. If you've got saved views in marketing, um, how are they different to smart lists, for example? When would you use one over the other? That's a good question, Greg. <laughs> it is a good question. And here's the thing to remember. So the great thing about saved filters, did I just call them views before? Yeah, yes, I you did. <laughs> the great thing about saved filters is that they're immediate. You basically create a filter. So let's say you've got a, um, a filter and yeah. then you go, oh, okay, I'm going to filter by this and this and this, bang. It's almost instant. Yes, you see does. that update. Exactly. Whereas smart lists, you know, it does okay, take time to process. Ah, uh, processes yes. the smart list. Yep. So that's one reason why you'd use a, a save filter. However, you can't use save filters to trigger workflows, no. or you can't use them as audiences in an email or a smart content piece. So that's when smart lists are where you use. So if you're wondering which one to use, where correct? There's a good uh, good way of thinking about it. Yeah, and I think also the other point you make is that because it's probably more used in the sales side. If there is a smart list that sales need to have a look at, you could actually create a view for that. A save filter, a filter. For, for that, yeah. And also, 
if the sales team, they create a save filter, oh, here's, here's the prospects I chase up, I'd love to see in uh, uh, this group an email. Okay, so I can now see your save filter in marketing. I know the criteria. I'll create a smart list based on that and send it out, yeah. Great tip, Craig. All right, Craig, on to our opinion of the week about empathetic listening. Oh, I love this story. I, was, I forget where I heard this first. It must, must be one of those anecdotes. But a bloke's walking alongside a river and uh, he sees a guy on the other side of the river and he calls out, hey, how do you get to the other side of the river? And then the other guy on the, on the other side shouts back. He goes, you're already there, right? And so it's this whole point that totally not seeing the other person's point of view And I think when it comes to marketing and sales particularly, it's really important. I think marketers are better than this than sometimes than sales, but the the top sales professionals really get this. It's about putting yourself in the other person's shoes, seeing from their perspective and understanding that. Even recently, I've actually been in these kind of meetings with a a salesperson. They launch into a sales presentation that's based entirely on their own perspective. That still happens today. And, you know, then they wonder why they're not getting that. They're not building that rapport and then they're not. I haven't got that empathy. So, yeah, I just thought that was an interesting, um, you know, slant on the whole um, uh, empathetic listening side for sales and marketing. Excellent. On to our podcast of the week, Craig, and this is Content Inc.'s final podcast, episode 200. Oh, this is really sad. I love this. Joe Polizzi has this five-minute marketing tip uh, each, I don't know how often, every couple of days. Why is it the last one? Every day, maybe. Well, he actually started the podcast to coincide with his book called Content Inc., and he only, uh, when he listened to episode 200 and he explains why he's finishing up, he says, you know, it was really only intended, you know, 10 episodes really to complement the book. But it kind of took off and then it grew and then he kind of changed focus and it became a bit more general, not so much related to the book. And now he's basically said, well, it's run its course. Uh, and plus he's got another new book coming out. So maybe he's got another podcast series. I don't know. He co-hosts uh, one of my favourite podcasts with Robert Rose, which is called um, This Old Marketing. So maybe they're focusing more on that. And, yeah, it just ran its course, so go and listen to it. And that's why it's our podcast of the week. Thanks, Joe. Loved contenting <coughs> podcast. Sad to see it go. All right, on to our resource of the week, Craig. This is from the amazing Sean Anderson, and it's a link building guide updated for 2017. Did you have a look at this? Oh, I can't say I have. Oh, man, if you click on this link, it loads the longest page on link building. This is an example of epic content if ever I've seen. You know I love Sean Anderson. He's he's one of the few newsletters I actually subscribe to. He's a yeah, great right. SEO. Yeah, UK guy. Excellent, excellent. I love his stuff. But we're not linking. We're linking this not so much because we want you to go and read about link building, but you, we want you to see epic content. And the other smart thing he does is all because he's got it broken down into about 25 sections. By the way, this is a monster post. Like it would be an awesome book on its own right in some ways. But then he anchors each of the sections. For, for example, he's got a section on how to get local links, right? That's a complete section. What he does, and I've noticed him doing this on social, he'll have a tweet specifically around that topic and links to that anchored section. So you as a user, you right. click through and you actually go straight to it. And then it's almost like you go, oh, that's a great piece of content oh, take a step back, it's part of this enormous post. So it's a really nice approach. I was actually thinking we should do that for Hubshots, you know. Some of the things we should tweet, because we don't use anchors in our show notes, but we should actually tweet um, like a shot about this and it just goes goes to an anchor in the show notes. So thanks, Sean. And, uh, yeah, have a look at that. Maybe that's a way to format your own content, uh, listeners. Absolutely. On to our quote of the week, Craig. 
Don't build links, build relationships. And this is from Rand Fishkin. Founder of Moz, and it's been the Moz show almost. It, it always has, hasn't it? It's all been about SEO and what's going on and how to, how to really benefit from that. So I think that's a really key thing. Now, we've got some bonus links in the show. And we've got some great things. If you want to see what we're reading, there are links to that. So I'd encourage you, if there's one thing you take away from this show, is take one thing out of one of these shots and implement it in your business. And we'd love to hear the result of it. So we'd love you to tweet us, join us on Facebook, join our WhatsApp group, and tell us how you're going, because we'd love to help you out. And we'd also love for you to leave a review on iTunes. And listeners, until next time, see you later, Craig. Catch you later, Ian. Hey there, thanks for listening to this episode of Hubshots. For show notes and the latest HubSpot news and tips, please visit us at hubshots.com.